0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. I have two sermons to preach today. The first is really short and practical. It has three points. Point number one: If your wife tells you not to walk on ice, you should not walk on ice. Point number two, if you decide to disobey your wife's counsel and walk on ice, do not text while walking on ice. And point number three, if you watch your step while walking on ice 1,000 times, but do not watch your step the 1,001st time, you might fall. That's the end of that sermon. Uh, Hurt my knee a little bit, and uh, we're going to wait and see what's going on with that. It's not nearly as bad as it could have been. And my wife came up here, and yesterday we decided, would I stand up and not be able to use my hands or sit down and not be able to use my feet? And she said, well, you can't use your feet anyway, so you might as well sit down. So we're going to look in in Psalm 46 today. That's out of our series. And I've got to say to you, um, I don't love doing that. I, I really like us teaching through text and teaching through books of the Bible And was talking with uh, with Danny, our executive pastor, Friday, and had been praying about that and thinking about this psalm that we actually looked at this last summer when we were all gathering online. And by the way, thank you for those of you who've gathered with us online um, and really felt like we needed to go back after a week like we've had that is unprecedented in our state's history that maybe we would remember that God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Psalm 46. And that's how it begins God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This is really such a beautiful psalm. It inspired Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This psalm was known as the battle cry of the Reformation. And it was written by a group of guys called the Sons of Korah. That would probably make a great band name today. And they were, commentators think, they were looking back on this time in the life of Israel when the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he was coming against Judah. He had really conquered Ten of the tribes of Israel, and he was coming against King Hezekiah. His empire was on the rise, and it looked like he could conquer everybody. And through a representative, he mocked God. He mocked Yahweh as being similar to the false gods of the nations around them. And he asked this question in 2 Kings 18. He says, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will deliver us and our city. For who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their people from my land and you think your God is going to deliver you? Now Hezekiah, he was gravely concerned. He was afraid. He turned to God for help. And through the prophet Isaiah... The Lord said to Sennacherib, who have you mocked and reviled? And against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? It's against the Holy One of Israel. God revealed to Hezekiah and his people that Sennacherib would not reign, that God would, and in fact, he did. He said to Sennacherib, through Isaiah, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back the way in which you came. And God sent an angel and 185,000 Assyrian troops were killed in one night. And Sennacherib went and died at the hands of his own children in the temple of his false God. See, he didn't think God could come to the aid of his people, and in fact, God did. And so the sons of Korah wrote this song that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, we we can tend to be the kind of people who don't like to ask for help. We pawn it off as not wanting to burden anyone. And there's a sense in which that's true. We don't want to be a burden to others. And there's another sense, though, in, in which that's rooted in individualism. And it's a rejection of biblical community. Because biblical community doesn't just mean the ability and willingness to help others, to give help to others. It also means the ability and willingness to receive help. There's, there's really nothing like an apocalyptic ice storm to teach you that, right? Some of us saw our friends come to our aid, come to help us in a variety of ways. Many of you came to the aid of others in a variety of ways by making meals, by providing a ride in a four-by-four, by, four, by offering up your home, by offering water or a shower or a place to rest, Many of you have done that, and you are doing that, and you'll continue to do that. And as you do, you reflect that God is our refuge and our strength, that God is an ever-present help. In In a moment like this week that we've had, it's easy to see help from other people. We can see it happening. We can watch trucks going by. We can see people in our homes, or we can see people inviting us into other people's homes. We cannot see God. And so there can be a tendency to say, Is He here? Is He with us? Will He see us through this? Well, God can, and He will, and He'll continue to be the deepest treasure of our lives because of His character and His ability. The Psalms over and over and over express the character and the ability and the supreme value of God. He is an ever-present, everlasting source of eternal gladness, joy, and peace, even in the most tumultuous times. So what do we do if we know that God is in fact our refuge and our strength? If we believe that God really is a very present help in troubled times. There are four things that we do. And the first is that we rest in God's presence because we know he's our refuge and our strength. And he's a very present help in trouble. We don't have to run from times of trouble. We're certainly not looking for them. But we can rely on God. We can rest in his presence. We don't have to trust in our own strength because he is a very present help. He is with us. His spirit is alive inside of us. His presence is with us in easy times. His presence is with us in hard times. He will not leave us or forsake us. He will not abandon us to ourselves. He will be with us so we're able to not fear. Because he's our refuge and our strength. We see it through his word. We sense it from his spirit. We see it through common means of grace, and we see it through the church loving and serving one another. We've all had friends that we don't remember or don't know anymore. Some of you are much more fortunate than I. You have people who you've lived 30, 40, 50 years, and you have friends from your childhood. And I don't. I've got a couple of people from college I, I keep up with pretty regularly, some guys from seminary as well. But of my high school friends, there are maybe two or three that I might speak to on social media two or three times a year. Friendships like that can be fading. That is not who God is or how God is to his people. He is with us. His friendship to us, his intimacy with us his care for us as a shepherd a father a king and a friend they will never go away he is a very present help well how how bad can things get and and we still not fear can our hero die and we still not fear can we go through a global pandemic and we still not fear can we go through an ice storm like our state has never ever seen Well, as we rest in God's presence, the psalmist has an answer. He says, "'Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, "'though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, "'though its waters roar and foam, "'though the mountains tremble at its swelling. "'Though the earth gives way, "'though the mountains be cast into the heart of the sea, "'though its waters roar and foam, "'the mountains tremble at its swelling.'" Though ice freezes our state, shuts down our power, busts our pipes, and makes our roads impassable. See, we trust the Lord in the literal cataclysmic ice storms of life because when the figurative cataclysmic ice storms of life come, God will be with us still. He will warm our hearts to this truth, even and especially in those moments God will melt the ice but we've got to look to him both when the earth gives way and when the earth isn't giving way because he's our refuge and strength on the best of our days. See, there's an idea in the Western world and there's an idea in Western Christianity that is intrinsically self-absorbed and it is incredibly gospel-lacking. And it's this idea that we're enough, that we have enough and that we will be enough in and of ourselves Our bank accounts are full. Our shelves are full. Our grocery stores are full. Our roads are smooth. The sun is bright. And we begin to think in our gifts and abilities that can be enough, or we'll just say the right words and manifest what we want, and it will be enough. We'll do better. We'll muster up something. We'll will our way to happiness in hard times. I mean, it's just wrong. It's dead wrong it can't ultimately be accomplished and it won't lead us to jesus we did see a lot of people helping one another this week but there were moments where we wanted to help and we couldn't we couldn't get out of our houses you you can think you're doing really really well and you're great brown cowboy boots and you're just walking along through the snow of life and a little sheet of ice will fling you into the air and remind you, you need help. You can't do what you think you're able to do. I knew that even before my wife told me. See, we're we're not enough, but God is. God is. And this is the God who will make us glad. The gospel has never primarily been about us making our way to God or what we can do for God. It's never been about our idea or our reputation. It was God's idea. It's about his reputation. It's about what he has done in and through us, through Jesus Christ and what he will do. Creation's groaning, waiting for the day. We can look at this week and go, why in the world Did this happen? And we don't have all the answers for it, but we do have some, and the answer is that because of the sin of our father Adam and our mother Eve, because of their great fall, there's only been one fall that could come close to theirs in the history of the world. It was mine this Wednesday. (laughs) Because of their great fall, the whole world is broken and the profound effects of sin make all creation groan and wait for the redemption of our bodies, the revealing of the sons of God that will come through Jesus Christ. Even creation will be set right. While we wait, we can know this, that the world is broken and God is sovereign and God is holy and God is good. And while this moment is bad, while the waters roar and foam, God will turn this for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Everything good comes from him anyway. We're reminded this week, this is not our best life. This will not be our best life. We will live this life and hope to reflect the life that is coming, but in the new heavens and new earth, we will have our best life when the resurrection of God's people that we'll be moving toward when we get back into 1 Corinthians next week That will be our best life, and it will be our best life forever. So we rest in God, even in the storms of life. But we don't just rest in his presence, we receive his promises. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. He will make you glad. That's the city of God. It's Jerusalem. If you've got your Bibles or your apps, turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. <laughs> there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That would have been Jerusalem. She will not be moved. He's in the midst of her in her holy habitation. That's the temple in Jerusalem. What is this river that makes glad the city of God? Well, Ezekiel gets a vision, and this man is with him, guiding him in this vision, and there is water flowing out of the temple in Jerusalem, and it's trickling out and flowing from the east. From the north, or to the east, to the north, to the south, and to the west. And as the water flows, it gets deeper. And Isaiah gives these numbers. He says, a thousand cubits. A thousand cubits is 500 yards. So I'm going to read it that way. Going eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the, me- the man measured 500 yards. Verse three. And the water, it was ankle deep. And again, he measured. 500 yards and led me through the water and it was knee deep and again he measured 500 yards and through the water it was waist deep and again he measured 500 yards and it was a river I couldn't pass through for the water had risen it was deep enough to swim in a river that couldn't be passed through and he said to me son of man have you seen this and listen to what Ezekiel says about the river He led me back to the bank of the river, and as I went back, I saw on the bank, the river, many trees on one side and on another. And he said, this water flows toward the eastern region, down into the Arabah, and it enters the sea, and when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. This river makes salt water fresh. Where the river goes, every living creature that swims will live, and there will be many fish for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live wherever the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Enelgame. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. The fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. He goes on to say, and on its banks on both sides of the river there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, the place where God dwells. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves will be for healing. Well, what is this river that is flowing out of the temple where the presence of God dwells? That was the temple that became the spirit, Jesus. In John 7, 37 and 38, on the last and greatest day of this feast, Jesus is there, they're dumping out water pots and they're saying, these verses from Isaiah, we will drink water from the wells of salvation and Jesus stands up and in a loud voice he cries, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. See, what was the temple became the spirit that Jesus was speaking of, and that spirit flows out of the church. The church, the place where Jesus dwells, is where this river of life flows from, the spirit to the nations for food and for healing. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That's what the psalmist tells us, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, the place where he dwells, and she shall not be moved. This spirit makes us glad. He is our ever-present help. The spirit counsels us. He convicts us. He guides us into all truth so we're not moved. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though the earth melts or freezes, we will not fear because God is with us. We're not moved. We keep about our business. I saw that in so many ways this week. One of the ways that I saw it is there's a guy named Scott who was coming to help run our warming center. We got on the phone after Chief Reynolds called Mon- Monday night. We gathered together and we thought Scott would be the guy to lead our warming center. So made a couple of calls late Monday night. Scott said yes. He gets in his truck in Troy starts driving, gets a little ways from his home, and his truck slides into a ditch. And, uh, and so he texted and said, hey, my truck's in a ditch, I'll, I'll be there later. And I thought, he's probably not gonna be here later. And about five hours later, after getting his truck out of a ditch in ice, taking it back to his house and assessing the damage, he showed up at Temple Bible Church and served all week long. His wife had been working at McLean's from Friday through Tuesday. because other nurses couldn't get there and she was there and they just weren't moved. They just weren't moved. They were there reflecting refuge, help, and strength because God was in their midst. We receive his promises. We trust him and we believe that he will make us glad. And even on a hard week, what will be a hard several weeks for some of you, He'll make you glad, only in Jesus Christ, only by the power of his Holy Spirit. So we rest in his presence, we receive his promises, and then we recognize and rely on his power. Verse six, the nations rage, the kingdom totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. He is powerful. He's sovereign. He breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The scripture tells us, now I've read that, that truth about God's power breaking the cedars of Lebanon over and over and over. And I thought that's kind of impressive, but I was thinking cedars like we have in Texas. And, and then I went to Lebanon. And I saw these 3,000 year old trees with a diameter of 16 feet, a circumference of 48 feet. These massive trees and our powerful God, it says, breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He is powerful. So when it seems all hell is breaking loose, when the winter is at its coldest, When our little Narnia called Central Texas seems frozen to death and the white witch's tyranny seems secure, Aslan is in fact on the move. Spring is coming, the icicles are melting. Life is going to abound again. God is with us, he hasn't abandoned us. We look to the unseen and we tell people about this God who is with us. You know, over the past seven or eight years, we've had quite a few occasions to look at the book of Habakkuk. Gary led us to do that. And you remember the story of Habakkuk, the prophet, and how in Habakkuk 1, God says, I'm gonna do something that would make your ears tickle. I'm gonna do something in your midst you wouldn't believe even if I told you. And he's sending discipline on his people and Habakkuk goes, why in the world would, would you do this? Why would you send these people against us who are evil people? And then God, God tells Habakkuk, they're going to get theirs, but you live by faith. You're righteous. You live by faith. You trust me. And, and Habakkuk goes through the book and expresses in the end his trust for the Lord. So these verses... That we know so well, though the fig tree shouldn't blossom, nor there be fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no hurt in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer's. He makes me tread on high places. God did everything in that for me. Except making my feet like the feet of a deer. He's with us. He's with us so much so that that we could say, though our hero dies, and though we walk through a pandemic, and though the shelves are empty and the roads are icy, though the pipes burst and the power goes out, yet we will exalt. We will exalt and the Lord, our strength, the God of our salvation, our rock. He's going to be with us. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. He'll bring an end to conflict. He'll bring spears to be shattered. He'll burn chariots of war with fire. What the psalmist is telling us is that God is going to bring us lasting peace through Jesus Christ. Israel was looking at the chaos around them through war and they got into unholy alliances, but when they looked to God, they were distinctly his. Some trust in their power, their own devices. Some trust in bows and spears and chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, and when we turn to God in a time of need, we reflect his image to the world. That's what we were intended to do. We mirror his image. It's what we were created to do. I saw so many people doing that at our warming center at church, in their own homes, welcoming others in, getting people out of their homes when they couldn't get out, when their roads were too icy to drive on. I saw cooks and cops do it. I saw nurses and doctors do it. I saw teachers and money managers do it. I saw realtors and mortgage brokers do it. I saw coaches and caretakers do it relying on God's power and reflecting God's goodness and we are going to need to be those people in the coming weeks as well it'll only happen if we rest in God's presence and if we receive his promises if we rely on his power then we God's people can keep running in his purposes but before we run, we've, we've got to be still. And there are a couple of things we've got to know. Verse 10 of Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. In the midst of chaos, when you want to be busy, be still. Israel would have been anxious. They would have been fearful. They would have been afraid as exile was coming. And he says, be still. Now, normally it's really hard to do that. This week, it was pretty easy to be still. It's gotten really easy for me, as a matter of fact. Whether or not people know that he is God, at least we will. And so this week, there were moments where we were very much helped by being still. We slowed down whether we wanted to or not. We quieted down. We laid down our arms, you know, in a year that has had so much division, so much loud division, so much unapologetic division, so much lack of gentleness. This week, I don't think anybody pulling their four by four up to help someone go to another house, I don't think anyone said, what? hold on, how did, how did you vote first?" I don't think anyone welcoming their neighbor in, taking water to people who were without, cooking a meal for someone who couldn't cook. Hold on, what, what, what party are you, and what do you think about this issue, and what do you think about this issue? It's a shame it took the worst of times, but in the worst of times, by and large, we actually laid down our arms. We got still and then in moments like these, we bow down, we humble ourselves because there was plenty to learn about God and plenty to learn about ourselves this week. And there will be plenty to learn about God and plenty to learn about ourselves as the people of God in the coming weeks. So we be still and know. And there are two things we know. Number one, we know that he is God, that the other things we hope in to give us salvation and satisfaction and security, those things fail us. But God he doesn't. He's God, he's personally present and that is the antidote to our pain, to our sin, to our difficulty. It's not in changed circumstances. Though we pray for changed circumstances but it's in the presence of God inside us, our refuge, our strength, our very present help. And, and hear me, some of the trouble we face, a lot of the trouble we face is out there. And he came to be a very present help when we face trouble out there, but some of the trouble we face is in here. And God comes to be a very present help even for the trouble we face in here. God's people have always faced trouble in here when when you think about our people, right? Noah built the ark. And Noah got drunk. Abraham had faith and Abraham gave his wife to other men. Jacob was a father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and Jacob lied to steal his brother's birthright. David, the man after God's own heart, took Bathsheba for himself. Rahab was a protector of the spies, and Rahab was a prostitute. And that's just Jesus' genealogy, right? Right? Then you think about that Samaritan woman or the story of the prodigal son or the tax collectors and pagans that Jesus came to help and people said he's a drunken or a glutton and a drunkard because he hangs out with these people. He's a very present help. No matter where you are in life, whether it's a literal ice storm or a figurative storm of sin that has you paralyzed by fear, Jesus is here and he's willing to help. He rose from the dead. He comes to us. It's not us going to him. It's him coming to us. Even before we ever thought of turning to him for refuge, he came to us. That's the way it's always been. When Adam and Eve were hiding in their sin and their nakedness, God came down. And so did his son. And he died and rose from the dead to show that he can, in fact, be a refuge and strength and very present help for all who call on the name of the Lord. So we still ourselves and we know that He is God, and then we know that He has purposes. God is not God for your purposes or for my purposes. He is God for His purposes. He's not a God who promises whatever we make up for Him to promise, right? Christi- Christianity, it's historical before it's personal. And what makes God beautiful is that he keeps his promises and he accomplishes his purposes. So we can know he will be exalted among the nations. We can know he'll be exalted in all the earth, like verse 10 says, because he keeps his promises and because he will accomplish his his purposes. There are reasons that we can trust him to be a present help in troubled times. It's because his character is perfect and his ability is powerful. He's going to accomplish his purposes. He will do so through his people. He will keep the church because it's through the church that he will accomplish his purposes. If, if our hero dies, will he keep the church? Yeah, he is going to keep the church. If we walk through a global pandemic and a divisive year, will he keep the church? Yeah, he's going to keep the church if all Texas freezes over. Will he keep the church then? Yeah, he, he's gonna keep the church. And through his people, he will accomplish his purposes. In the coming weeks, we have great opportunity to be about those purposes in soup kitchens and places that are providing food for those who don't have it. And us welcoming friends who as they're getting power back Maybe working on their house and don't have time to cook and we can bring them in for a meal or bring a meal to them. And as we do this, we get to tell them about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You might hear that and you go, you know, when people are hurting, is, is that time just to help or is that time to talk about Jesus? And it's time to do both. People need to know and hear the love of Christ, especially when life is broken, especially when they're hurting. The, the, first, the first six and a half years I was a believer, I missed so many opportunities to love people well and point them to Christ. Hear me, I miss those opportunities still, but that first six and a half years, it was just so much wrapped up about me. God changed that. He awakened me to that. He showed me my sandcastles and he washed them away. They began to melt like icicles on a warm day. And he began building in me, and I believe now he's building in us this solid foundation built on the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ. God's gonna be exalted in the nations through his church. So Psalm 46 ends by saying, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's with us. Laura and I have this great opportunity we've had for years and years and years to do premarital counseling for people. We've had these conversations in small groups with college students. And one of our favorite things to talk about is that when we knew when we got married and we realized all the more today, there are going to be really good days in life and there are going to be really hard days. And there's nobody I'd rather walk through the hard days in life with than Laura Bowers. There's just nobody. There's nobody I would rather walk outside when I'm laying on the ground and go, are you okay? When I say, yes, here, I told you so from than Laura Bowers. And she took care of me, nursed my wounds, made sure I'm okay. Listen, all the more, The Lord of heaven's armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Jesus Christ who rose from the dead is our refuge and strength and very present help. So we can run in his purposes as his people as we help our community recover from a hard, hard week. Lord, we need your help for that. Your word tells us that if we abide in you, we will bear much fruit, but apart from you, we can do nothing. So we pray you would help us, God. Pray you'd help us to trust in you, to find our rest in you, to find our refuge in you, to rely on you and then to run hard, empowered by you, to give you glory and to love our community. We need you for it, God, and we know that you're working even today and even now. You're our sovereign king, and we're going to confess that to you, Lord. We trust you. So hear our prayer of confession as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.